It is a time of legend. The galaxy is in flames. The age of knowledge and enlightenment has ended. The age of darkness has begun. Greetings and welcome to the 10th episode of the Fires of Betrayal podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to the various games set in the Age of Darkness, as well as all the lore that surrounds them. In today's episode, we're looking at part one of our coverage of the new Siege of Chthonia book. In this particular episode, we're going to look at the lore and the many additions to the army lists that have been made from this book. Part two, coming out in two weeks, we'll look at the missions, campaigns, and the Zone Mortalis rules. For this episode, I'm joined by Monji, Lucas, Will, and Ben. I'm going to quickly say here that the recording of this episode was not done without incident. Both Lucas and Will had to leave before the end of the show as there were some large thunderstorms moving over the DFW area. This did affect Lucas's connectivity and his audio quality did degrade in places. In addition, I was using a new microphone for this episode and the quality of this device was not anywhere near what I wanted. I had to do a lot of post-processing work to get it to sound the quality it does. Now I also used the same defective microphone to record the intros and outros of episode 9. While I was happy with the sound I heard on my processing laptop when we would, when I published the show, I have re-listened to it and I wasn't happy with the overall quality. So I have recently brought a brand new microphone, re-recorded the intros and exits to episode 9, and obviously the intros and episode intros and exits to this episode 10. Anyway, with all that said, Let's get on with it. It's a pretty long discussion, and I will speak to you again at closeout. Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, today I'm joined by uh, Monji, Lucas, and Will. Ben will be joining us in a bit. If you guys want to say hello and your name so people know who you are. Uh, I'll kick off. Hey, uh, folks, this is Manji. I've been on an episode of this show before, and I do the uh, Horace Heresy show for Bell of Lost Souls on YouTube, so please check that out, too. Hey, my name's Lucas. I've been on a couple episodes of this show before. I also have my own show, uh, the Taking of Ferex podcast, over on YouTube, and I run, I'm one of the organizers for the Taking of Ferex event series, uh, which is a, you know, a United States nationwide event series. And I'm Will. I've been on the show before as well, and I do not have my own podcast, but uh, I am an occasional co-host here, and uh, I help support the uh, Radio Free Istvan podcast and Discord, and I also help support some of the Taking of Furyx events. Okay. I mean, we've all been here before, so it's not a huge in-date of, you know, who you are, but I think we'll just go, go around the room, sort of talking about what we've been up to last couple of months it's been a while since i've had a regular episode with the road kansas city being my last one i'll start uh i've mostly been working on three marines and i've come to loathe the kit i've been trying to paint it i've been trying to paint 20 of them i painted five for the pirates event i've got another 15 sitting on my painting table and it is just grinding hell after painting mark seven uh, mark six marines um the kit's filled with details that if you want to try and do some Highlighting on is a pain. I'm really looking forward to the idea of a kit for them. Um, doing them in anything that isn't the Iron Warriors is just a pain. I'm reading some books as well. I also just finished reading Korax. Um, and yes, wow, that book took a turn. Like the first half was great. And then the second half was like, I really dislike the Raven Gardening. I'm, I'm really annoyed. I've read Korax and I've read Deliverance Lost. And I'm really annoyed at how much of a like generic himbo Korax is. Like... 
You expect sort of this, like, you know, dark goth, you know, Prince of the Night with the way he's depicting all of his art, and he's just, like, literally a guy. He's literally some dude in every written depiction, and it's just baffling. He's just like, I know it, I can remember everything that's ever happened, and because of that, I've got to kill myself. Yeah. I mean, I know Gav Thorpe's a roll of the dice every time I pick up a book. I just finished Torian of Dawn beforehand, and that book was so much better than I was expecting it to be. That had book had, was so good, so much better than it had any right to be. Uh, the first half for me was real slow, but the back half does pick up very well. I was enjoying the Alpha Legion parts of the front, first part of that book, and then Korax, which was a mess. So I mean, don't I guess be careful reading Deliverance Lost because it's a lot of Alpha Legion clowning on Raven Guard for literally the whole book. Oh, what have you been doing, Andre? I've mostly been packing. I'm moving in a couple of weeks, so uh, just across town in Austin. So, but yeah, mostly I've just been. Organizing stuff for the upcoming launch of uh, 40k 10th edition, working, taking it as an excuse to work on a bunch of Primaris that have been languishing while I painted a whole lot of Horus Heresy models over the last year and change, and uh, planning out uh, after I read uh, Siege of Chthonia, planning out Sons of Horus Army because that was actually the first army I ever played in uh, Horus Heresy 1st edition. And uh, I really, really dig what they have with this book, and I really dig their models. So uh, I'm an easy sell for some Sons of Horus. So, yeah. Okay. Lucas, what have you been up to? I know you've been running events, but have you been doing any hobby? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I've had the 3D printer running, printing off bits for Night Lords. I'm trying to get those ready for Warzone Houston. We'll see if that happens or not. Um, I've got a big event coming up in between now and then so i got some stuff to prep for that um speaking of that's what i've been doing i've been prepping some stuff i've done i have a table i'm working on that's like a death ray designs uh cyberpunk kind of inspired table that that'll be pretty cool it's got a little sushi stand that i love and i've also built a bunch of dark angels dreadnoughts I'm kind of one of the guys that like will build everything that kind of goes together and then paint it all at once and then move on to like the next thing that all goes together. Like I would build a bunch of tanks and then paint them all at once and then do the next thing. And the next thing happened to be dreadnoughts. So I have a ton of dreadnoughts for dark angels ready to go. I didn't have a single dreadnought for my main army before. So I've built them. Now I just have to paint them. Um, well, you've been working on anything interesting. I also have a Fury of the Ancients list that hasn't seen the table, but I've had that since first edition because I started in Heresy as Iron Hands and went, yeah, I want to do that. It was actually my second Iron Hands list. My first was actually based on, I can't remember the fleet battle, but it's in Fulgrim, um, the, the whole story of that one. But no, uh, so about the time Imperial Knights came out for eighth edition, I was between jobs. Um, I was actually, I took an, taken, I was leaving one job, I was starting with another job, I was going to take a month off, and then they pushed my start date back, so I ended up with a whole bunch of time on my hands. So I decided to build House Raven, because I've got uh, uh, Legio Metallica uh, armor cast titans, two warhounds and a, and a reaver, so I did House Raven to go with them, and uh, painted them up exactly as the color palette in the 8th uh, edition book for the, the ones that I built. I built three titans and or excuse me, three knights and, and a, uh, three armagers. And I've had knights sitting around 
for one reason or another for a while. And so I decided I'm going to paint up the, uh, the knights I have to finish out the, uh, the rest of the color palette because there's five knights on the color palette from the eighth edition book. Uh, so I've been working on that, uh, planning on taking them to Warzone Houston for the mega battle, uh, fielding my, uh, my armor cast titans and my uh, knights and armagers uh, for the mega battle and then playing my uh, space wolves for the, uh, for the rest of the game. Um, I, in addition to that, I've got, you know, the uh, Ferex event coming up for Texas Open that I need to get stuff finished. So um, after playing the, uh, the Ferex event just recently, which we'll talk about later, I assume, um, I decided that I was going to be uh, reorganizing my list a little bit. And I've decided that I'm adding a unit of their gear with autocannons. So uh, I thought I had enough autocannons. I ordered some. They're coming in on Tuesday. Uh, I needed one more autocannon. So as soon as that gets in, I can finish uh, remodeling that and uh, get started painting on them. Um, so next up, we usually talk about recent news for Horus Heresy. And um, yeah, there's barely been anything. We've had a few releases. Obviously, the Siege of Chthonia book, which we will talk about. And then there's been the special characters for it. And then the Vindicator. Uh, other than like a Siege of Chthonia book, I haven't really raced out to buy anything. Has anyone... Brought any of the new products? I uh, I bought the new Vindicator kit because it came with the um, both weapon options, which I thought was uh, super nice. I expected those to be separate kits, uh, so uh, I'm probably going to end up owning three. But that's uh, no, uh, I haven't gotten to building yet. But it seems like it's it's still based on the Rhino kit. So if you still have like if you still hate building the back door on the Rhino, you'll still hate building the back door on the Vindicator. Uh... I hate that back door on the, this current Rhino kit. And I built the, I built, got a new Whirlwind Scorpius recently, and I decided uh, just to clip the back door, which is off, and just glued it in as a plate, and it worked a lot better, which is less than fun. I, I was surprised by the news that all of the uh, Space Marine Horus Heresy units are not crossing over into 40k anymore. I, uh, I thought that was a really, really big uh, bit of news gonna give rules for them in 40k but they aren't gonna put out it's not gonna be an imperial armor book with all the rules in and they aren't gonna keep up with them in the match play guides which i'm right so hold on you i i believe uh manji what you said is inaccurate they have rules for them you just can't play them in turn that means you can't play them like nobody I can tell you since they introduced legends i have fought legends units zero times in what what that was 2018 was eighth edition so five years yeah i'm i mean i'm well so that that that's a symptom of uh 40k players more than legends i think but that we we don't have to get too into it I, i mean i would argue that there is this this concept that i think games workshop has that people play with legends units in casual play but i've run narrative campaigns i've run crusades i've run you know uh, 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 fun narrative mega games, and I'm I'm telling you, nobody is running Legends units. Um, there's there was no Terminus Ultras, there was no Terminator armor, Marnius Calgars. You know, there's it. Technically, yes, Lucas, you're right. They are going to have rules. They're going to have a degree of support in 40k. But you know, my my experience is that when it hits the Legends PDF, immediately, 
you know, it just stops seeing the table. It, it might as well not exist. And I think that's going to be a, a huge, huge impact to the long-term health of heresy as a game. I think it's it's really detrimental. The, the issue is, as I see it, from my experience here in the DFW area and working with a lot, because I used to run all the 40K stuff until I got out of playing 40K, but I'm still regular basis talking with the other tournament organizers and, and things like that, is with the exception of three people that I can t- say off the top of my head, uh, as well as the the narrative guys, and, and I know we all know who those guys are. Most people don't play narrative. They will play some narrative games if they're offered, but they don't. They're not strictly narrative players. And since they're not strictly narrative players, they're going to build their armies and buy their models based upon what their tournament games are. Because unless they're actively playing in something that's explicitly a narrative event, any game that they're playing is practice for a tournament and they're not going to play with or against something that they're not going to see in in a tournament I've, I've there are some play groups out there who i know play with legends units but they are they aren't the people who are going to be coming out to game stores and playing in game stores they aren't the people who are going to be coming out to heresy events and i get your worry manju that it's going to create a much harder barrier between the two games i don't think it's going to be that disastrous for heresy itself Gains we've made with the plastic box and all the plastic kits coming, I think, have been immense. I just, I do think there will, it'll be a harder lift to get someone to switch systems now. There will be. I can tell you the day they made that announcement, three people sold out their entire Heresy collections in Austin. Like, you know, I, you're right that the box made a lot of gains. Being in plastic made a lot of gains because you could have an army you could use in two games, right? Now you can't have an army that you can use in two games, depending on what you get, right? I mean, you could have, all of your stuff had rules. There were Relic Terminators, not Cataphracti. You know, the Legion-specific dudes didn't, but like the generic units all pretty much did. And, you know, I think that there was a high amount new players who bought in on the presumption that they would be able to use things like the new dreadnoughts or, you know, the uh, predator variants uh, in 40k because they had been able to in eighth and ninth. So, um, you know, it's it's rough. But they but they can. But Games Workshop hasn't removed them from the game. You've removed them from the game by not wanting to play with. I don't think it's it's not on game. It's. 40, the way the 40k community is has removed them. don't think it's Games Workshop's intent to remove them. I think it is. I, I, think they want, I, I think they want it to be like not in their tournament game. And the tournament is seen as definitely the focus. And it's what has pushed a lot of people away from 40k, in my, in my opinion. Oh, I think, and I, yeah. And it, I'm really hesitant to say whatever... So much potential for the new form of 40k to push people away or into heresy. The game's really good and really well balanced, and people will not move from 40k to heresy. Probably going to be a competitive game again and have that same competitive culture. That's not going to go away. It's that sort of thing that drove me from playing 40k. And heresy has that. I mean, I'm just thinking about two weekends ago up in Kansas City. There's no way in the world that I actually wanted to play a 40k event. Like, load of great people there, load of friends, people I go out and hang out with any day of the week. All the people top table there are people I consider friends, but I don't want to play in that game. 
that's not where I want to put my creative energy, whereas the event was perfect. That sounds like a really good segue to another topic. Okay, uh, before we get into the next section, I uh, just want to say hello to Ben, who joined us. Is he... Hello. Okay, he's been on the show before. Everyone knows who he is. Well, uh, we're going to move move on with our conversation, but we've also got Ben here, so we've got a fairly crowded show today, which is nice. Let's talk about some recent events, namely the recent event in Texas. Eric's one-day event we played last weekend, two weeks ago, by the time this goes out. Yeah, um, Lucas, do you want to... Yes. So, um, basically, uh, we've been running these uh, one-day events here in uh, Dallas, North North Texas, really. Sometimes they're not in Dallas, but whatever. For a couple years now, um, they were going before I even started playing Horse Heresy, and um, a guy named John Stanford was running them, and then Wills helped out with running them a little bit, and we've kind of, kind of, you know come full circle or, you know, each of us have had a turn at running these, you know, these one day events. We run them usually bi-monthly. Um, we've played Titanicus. We've played Horus Heresy. We've done Zomortalis. We've done um, Battles in the Great Crusade. All kinds of stuff. Different stuff. Um, but so this was just the latest one of one of, you know, one of those. And for the ones that I'm taking charge of, I've put them under the Ferex banner. So not really as strongly narrative linked in this particular phase as I would like them to be in the future. Uh, we kind of had to put it together. You know, like you said, we had last month in Kansas City. Kansas City was actually the week before this event. So I didn't have as much time to kind of narratively tie it all together as I would have liked. But in the future will be tying it all together as one big narrative, and these will be kind of small set piece battles set in the Ferex cluster, and then the bigger, you know, the two-day events, or the, or the three-day events, are going to be bigger, you know, basically bigger versions of the same thing. So, these events are called Operations. Our bigger, like, what Kansas City was, are called um, Incursion. And the biggest events like at Adepticon are the acts. So that would be like moving on to the next chapter, right? So we had just a kind of light little narrative about being in the Amber Strand. Um, it didn't really tie into any of the missions because we ran book missions from the Siege of Cathonia because the book had just come out the week prior and we had you know, 10 players or 12 players, 12 players. We had 12 players in the room and I wanted to see what they, you know, wanted to see what the visions were about. So we just ran those. Uh, and I think it worked out really well, actually. I really, I, I thought a lot of people had a good time. You used the points of interest markers and that added some narrative to the individual games, even if the narratives weren't overly linked. So, Right. right, right, right. We points of interest, for anyone not familiar with those, those are the ones where you can draw the Archaeotech or the NPCs. And we have our whole box of NPCs. You know, we have a whole battle phone box, hundreds of NPC models. So those are pretty cool. Um, I'm actually, what a, one of the things I'm working on right now is completely redoing that system. So for our Dallas event, which we'll talk about in just a minute, hopefully we will have the new system completely ready and where it's a little bit less... It's it, we're trying to integrate that system more into our narrative as well, so that's coming. And then we also use the character forge system, although I don't know how many players actually used it. I don't think very many did. 
Will, did you play any, anybody that used the character forge? Well, I'd use the character forge to give my uh, Praetor the the lesser of the Psyker ones. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Because my my Praetor is basically... The Awakened. The Awakened, yes. My, my Praetor is basically Odin. And so it seemed appropriate to give him some magic. I gave him Sanctif- uh, the Thaumaturgy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's cool. Because I thought that was the the power that seemed the most the most interesting. I think one of my opponents did. Um, yeah. So we, we are banning named characters for these even these one day events. Maybe they'll come back at some point, but for right now, there's no named characters, no models with a unique type is how we've worded it. So we we've used the character forge to place that, and the character forge is basically, without getting too deep into it, add a console upgrade to your Praetor. It's a little bit more than that, but like, that's the crux. It's it's a really good system. As the guy not taking them, um, and we're working on version. You know, we're working on improving that as well. No, I um, I found it. I for me, the two games I played, it's straight on the narrative that I was playing the week before. Like when I'm writing on my narrative document, it just flows straight from one to the other. Uh, I felt it was worked for me. Had a great two games. I don't go too far into the games right now because we're going to talk about the missions later. Probably actually a next week's show, but I enjoyed all the missions. I had two great opponents. The games were really neat. Uh, I will say I did finally face off against that list that brings a lot of sniper rifles. I faced off against 10 of them. And yeah, it managed to snipe out all my characters. Went in vehicles, turn one, and half my army allowing his outflanking wolves to rip them to pieces. Um, but it wasn't able to secure the, the mission. Mission starts becoming a thing, and I want to talk the mission when we talk the mission parts. I was able to do the mission better, so I still won the game. Yeah. Other than that, the second game I played was against John Christensen's Imperial Knights, which was fun. I hadn't played a full Imperial Knight game. I went into that game really nervous because I hadn't fought Knights before, and um, I spent half the game apologizing to John for playing such an army. Um, I didn't realize they had. There was a moment when my Spartan took out two knights in the same shooting phase. It got behind two of them, and it's like, last cannon there, last cannon there. Oh, they both blow up. Oh. Yeah, you're like, okay, I shot my last cannons here. Make your saves. And he's like, oh, I don't get saves. I just die. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, it's pretty bad. I felt like it was... It was was rough. Uh, I mean, the armages are scary. Um... They aren't because I was pinning them. <laughs> but the the army's in a really weird place because it feels like the armagers are entirely too good. Now there's some. Don't get me wrong. They have weaknesses. I'm not saying that they're like crazy, but they're like too good. And then the big knights are like not good at all. And I don't even mean like not good, but I mean like they're almost unplayable in a regular game. They're like really bad. I think that's true of the Questorus knights. Like I think they are. I, I would lean towards unplayably crap in Horus Heresy. They're, the land yeah. is also bad. The Castigator is really good. Um, I think the Castigator might be the only one no. that's not... Okay, the Perfiron is still super like, good. A real Knight Army, like you, you will lose Knight Army that runs a Porphyron, two Castigators, and... Yeah, all Warglaves. There's also the set... The, it's the, I think there's a 17 or 18... Armager list as well that's running around that's 
it's basically uh, Fear of the Ancients, but worse in every way. And uh, I, I mean, there are some really dirty things you can do with knights, but the problem is the unit that people will have the most of is uh, awful. And like the the forge-rolled knights are better, but that does not say a lot. And the only like genuinely like the only knight that I would say is is straight up runnable if you if you have it run it is the Porphyron. And it is so ridiculous that it will like it it is it is almost as bad by itself as fighting some of the more abusive lists because it's dropping four strength ten AP one templates a turn. So you're just like losing four squads while it's on the table. Uh, let's let's not labor knights too much. Um Sure, we'll, we'll talk about them in some other point. Uh, Will, how were your games? So I did, I did manage to win both of my games. Uh, my first game was against Iron Warriors, and it, it was bloody. It was, it was a shooting army versus a close combat army. So uh, every turn, things were dying in droves. If it was my turn, everything was dying because I was getting into close combat. But of course, everything was dying because I got into close combat, which then left, left me standing out in the middle of nowhere. So on the next turn, I got shot to death. Uh, I was running a Pride of the Legion list that was uh, three Land Raiders, a Spartan, uh, a Xiphon, and then uh, one each of each type of Terminator armor I have available to me. So Spartan was carrying uh, uh, Vera Gear with my uh, Traitor and uh, Herald. My uh, uh, and then I had a unit of cataphracti, uh, Saturnine armor stand proxying for cataphracti, so Saturnine armor using uh, cataphracti rules, uh, Tartarus that had a warmonger to deep strike in, which uh, in both games uh, were a complete waste of points because as soon as they showed up, whether they were splitting fire between that and the Xiphon or not, everything got shot off the shot off the board that came in from reserve. Um, and then I also had a unit of Indominus that I've mocked up as uh, Death Sworn Terminators. So they're just, the rules wise, they're just Indominus, but uh, in my fluff, they're part of my Death Sworn. The, so the first game was very, very bloody. Uh, the second game just kind of turned on a bad swing where um, I had charged my command. Force, so my my Varagir with my Praetor and my Herald had gotten really whittled down. I was down to to uh, only five Varagir out of a ten man squad, uh, and uh, charged into the Night Lords uh, command unit, which was uh, a bunch of I can't remember if they were tacticals or if they were uh, terror squad, but it had uh, him a chaplain and uh, I had his Praetor a chaplain, a uh, fifteen man unit and and an apothecary in there. And it was a very brutal close combat. He ended up losing and then rolled boxcars for his leadership. And then I couldn't sweep him, but then he rolled nine for his fallback. And we were only like six inches from the board edge, which took, which ran him off the board, which took out his, one of his only two scoring units. And at that point it, it was also his biggest chunk of his army. So we, we pretty much just called it after that. It had been kind of brutal and bloody up to that point, but with that swing, it was just so devastating that he, it was like, yeah, we're not, we're not playing anymore. Uh, but it was a really nice army. We had a lot of fun 
uh, with the game, up to and including we've now uh, come up with the idea that uh, he's going to put chipping on his prey tour, and that chipping is going to show uh, Alpha Legion uh, colors through it. And he, the lightning that he's going to do for the blank uh, shoulder pad, because he hadn't finished painting the model, he'd gotten a lot of detail work done on it, but he hadn't finished it. The lightning is going to be in, in the shape of a hydra. So yeah, his his praetor is actually going to be an alpha legion uh, agent. Uh, it's, his army's nice. Um, there's a lot. It was again whole room of fantastic armies. Near, nearly everyone fully painted. So yeah, the scene. The takes the scene live and well. Looking forward to the event next month, 29th of July. Yes, I have already scheduled and made a. Facebook post for the next event, which is called Operation Spearhead. It's also going to be taking place in the Amber Strand, the 29th of July at Dallas Games Marathon, which is the same place that we had this event. We are really enjoying that venue. It's not a store. It's just a gaming venue. That's all they do. Uh, so it is a $10 entry fee, and that covers the cost of the venue itself. That's all it does is cover you to play there. But there's no, you know, there's no like kind of obligatory like purchase stuff to support the store or anything like that. You just, you know, you, you just pay your $10. The guy is super cool. The guy who runs the place is super cool. And um, then you go about your day and he lets us, you know, we could, we could actually run three rounds if we wanted to, but we've decided to is best. It's a, it's a really, it's, it's a really nice venue. Yeah. Freeze a lot. I'd rather enjoy it because it's closer to my house than the other game stores in Dallas. But, uh, and that said, it is a drive to the side of Dallas to get use it. It's a theme venue that's not, you know, with people trying to do commerce, which can get in the way of an event. That'll be two weeks before the Texas Open and the next Pyrex. Sure. Yes. So we're doing our Amber Strand Part 2 at uh, Texas Open which is on August 11th. Uh, it's August 11th through 13th. Um, tickets are live now at texasopen.com. Or I'm sorry, texasopen.org. It's a $80 ticket price that gets you all three days. I think we're going to be running the exact same. Um, we're still waiting to hear back from them about exactly how late we can be in the venue on Saturday. If we can't be in the venue past like 8 o'clock, we will run the big zone mortalis on friday night the zone mortalis mega battle we'll run that on friday night if we can be in the venue past eight we'll run it on saturday with just the same kind of pickup games on friday night we'll have all the tables available for people to just kind of come and play and get registered and all that um and then on sunday we'll do two more we'll do two rounds of three thousand on saturday do two two rounds on sunday awards pack it up and head home looking forward to it um hopefully i can make it it'll be really cool we're uh it, like i said it's it's the same format as kansas city and like you said you had a blast there so it's going to be a uh i think the venue is probably even a little bit better um it's a little bit nicer hotel for the venue not that that one was bad it's just that i think this one's even nicer i think, I think that's sort of news and stuff we can get on with the actual conversation about Cthonia. the siege of Cthonia is going to be split over the next two episodes um today we're going to be talking about core bits from the book and we'll loop back around to talk about the missions next week let's start at the top with a sort of overview of, of the book uh, i believe all of us really have read a little bit of it 
let's start with the story, the fluff. It's don't go too far into the story itself. I was blown away by the quality of storytelling and the breadth of storytelling. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this was a a really big statement uh, from GW about kind of where uh, Horace Heresy 2 is kind of set in the timeline. I think, you know, when we look at the the sort of boxes in Horus Heresy One, you know, they were they were set kind of earlier on in the Heresy, like right around uh, just before Istvan to like um, you know the betrayal at Kalth, Shadow Crusade type stuff. Not saying that you couldn't do like later Heresy events in First Edition, obviously you could, but the majority of the content seemed to focus on like the outbreak of the Heresy, what people were doing, you know, kind of in those early years. Siege of Chthonia sets us more firmly in the like, hey, the galaxy is at war, everything has gone to hell. We are uh, roughly right before Beta Garmin, it seems like, you know, when they do the like, here's where all the legions are section in the book. It's, it's you know, not quite Siege of Terra, but, you know, Fulgrim's a demon, Angron's a demon, um, you know, all that stuff has kind of happened. So we're definitely, it feels like we're later on in the timeline uh, than we were in the first edition, or that's at least where this book is set. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, depiction of the Imperial Fists and the Sons of Horus uh, in this book. I felt like they were both just spiteful assholes, and I loved every second of it. Um, the depiction of both characters uh i think garius for the imperial fists and Asheridan for uh the sons of horus as kind of our like lead general guys is really interesting i very much like the idea of Asheridan as the like the honorable uh son of horus the like uh guy who is on the up and up uh, uh sort of take i thought was a really good contrast to the uh guy who is a bad enough dude rogaldorn doesn't want to see him around anymore um, I thought that was a really cool uh, sort of narrative contrast. I love the Loyalist Thousand Sons uh, uh, as well. That is uh, such a fantastic touch. Um, and I I enjoyed that, um, you know, for me coming from uh, mostly like the 40K narrative stuff uh, to Horace Harris. I felt like, like the amount of fluff in this book was also a huge statement about what they want these sort of supplements to be. This isn't just, you know, a thin veneer of fluff over a set of missions. The fluff is half the book, you know? So um, this felt really satisfying to read. And it felt like, you know, as, as admittedly someone who doesn't own uh, all of the old black books, it did feel like a worthy addition to kind of that lineage. Yeah. I think I want to, one of the things that's been skipped over by a lot of folk um, is that, it takes actually a while for us to even get to the fluff of the actual Siege of Thonia. First section of the book is just talking about where the universe is, and it's not regurgitating material from the core book, it's talking about new campaigns. There's this wonderful multi-page conversation about a campaign, what's the name of it? Forakan campaign, between the Iron Warriors, Salamanders, and, and Hans. And it sounds like it's a campaign setting I want. It talks about um, Ash Waste Desert with Ab blocks, very similar to the Necromunda terrain, and then racing around to fight over Promethean refineries. That how, you know, eventually the campaign kind of grinds down as most of the Iron Warriors leave to go to Terra. It's really interesting. Like, it's, it, I, want, I want that supplement. Give me that one. Oh, so, I mean, but it, it was nice that they at least 
wasn't just the Chthonius, but there was this other, like, if I was an Iron Warriors player, I got that now, and I've got, like, hey, we can tell that story. There's also really cool, like, uh, Space Wolf and Alpha Legion throwdown in this book as well. Um, and it's all, and that's all at the front end, and then it focuses on the Siege of Chthonia. The other thing I really enjoyed about the Siege of Chthonia is that, if you haven't read it, a bit small spoiler here, but it's not a huge spoiler, because it's book goes all the way through to the end of the heresy. This siege goes on through the siege going on Terra. Um, big box out near the start saying, it's all written in the third person. It's written by some inquisitor who's been digging through the archives. In fact, there's a cutout section. It talks about how they were able to find some actual records from the traitors from the Hulk of the Sons of Horus ship. They were able to capture it and go through their records. It's like, you know, it's a black Black book style, single narrative, put it together in the future. Mm-hmm. And it, where's the quote? I've got it written down here because I thought it, it, it summed up a great moment, which was like, Horus Heresy was over and the grim future of an eternal war awaited the galaxy. And that's how the main narrative finishes. That's awesome. And like, he wrote a book, talked about the whole end of the heresy. They didn't have to go anywhere near terror for it, which is really huge because I think everyone. When we get to the the siege, it's like, oh, now we're at the siege. Now it's solar war. They put a book out that's the Horus Heresy, and it goes to the end of the Heresy and doesn't go near Terra. I think that's really excited me for the possibility of the amount of other stories we're going to get. Yeah, I I, I second that, Martin. Um, you know, I, I said this was like, a, it felt like a statement. And the statement is, there is more to the Horus Heresy than the siege of Terra. And... We want to explore that, and that's how we're going to expand from where Horus Heresy sort of was to what sort of GW wants it to be moving forward. And if they can keep it at this level of quality, I'm I'm more than happy to keep buying And it resonates books. with me so much, because it's what I've been doing for the last couple of months. This is the sort of story we've been telling at Pyrex events. This is the stuff that's going on outside the main Black mm-hmm. Library story arc. The reason why the Loyalist and Sun show up because they're the forces Dawn goes, yeah, I don't trust them to be around Terra. Go over there. Like, it's just good. I really like it. Hopefully, over the summer, people have time to read the book. It's a very dry book, so I understand people want to charge their way through it. Um, and we can come back and revisit and talk a lot more about the actual story. Uh, yeah. That's it. Before we're done completely with the fluff, there is one other section of fluff I think is worth talking about, is the fact they go into a lot of depth about... That new unit in Ducti. The fluff for them is really good because it gives you such a wide variety of options for what they are for something that's in the game a single unit. Um, the fact they dedicate a good five or six law pages just to that before we even get anywhere near the rules and color plates is just nice. I'm really happy that they spent the time expanding them because it was an idea that's been mentioned in the core rule book we had last this time last year and it definitely felt in places that you know warhammer, warhammer community were bringing up and ducti as a way to explain iron warriors wearing mark six armor and it felt a bit of a throwaway idea but they've turned it into something really powerful narratively in this book um even within the Chthonian story inductive play a huge part then having that, this is how they work for the other legions as well. is really nice. Well, they were actually in 1.0. The inductee, you could play world eaters inductee in 1.0. I 
So they've had rules for a while, or, you know, something, there has been something there for a while. I'm not saying it's nearly as fleshed out as it is now. I'm just saying, like, they, they've been a concept for a really long time. It was nice fleshing it out to being something more than just what the... Last year when I was looking into Enductai, because I spent a while in an ring about what I was doing with my box sets. Enductai, one of those words that we knocked around, but it was very... The world eaters and Enductai aren't necessarily what the rest of them are. Yeah. And I think it's nice to have that fleshed out. I just I wanted to say I appreciated that. Like, I, f- I felt like they did a really good job of talking about how each Legion uses inducti and why they went for it you know from the thousand suns going oh god like we might be the only ones left to uh the world leaders going oh god we're dying all the time you know um to sort of the ultramarines uh, uh reason being like we have uh we don't know if terra exists so we need way more space marines now uh i i really enjoyed those little bits of uh, of lore to kind of add into like why are the inducti a thing? Why are they happening? And why is why is this sort of a later on in the heresy thing rather than something we might see at, say, Istvan or something like that? So what we'll do now is we will talk through the different inducti units. I'm sure we ha- each of us here have opinions about certain units. Uh, the inducti follow a very standard template. I'm sure most of you listening will have an idea of what they do because talked about by enough other people and online enough. I kind of want to give our takes on the different units. So I do want to say, as far as before getting into the individual legions, on the whole, you know, the Inducti are kind of a hit or miss, but their lore, their flavor, their reasoning for these are the rules for for the Inducti for each legion, no matter how good or bad they are, is actually really, really, really good. And in several cases that you can really feel this version of the inducti we see further down the road like i think the best description of an individual example of what i'm thinking here is discussing the space wolf inducti you can actually see in the rules for the space wolf inducti where the blood claws in 40k are the the raw not really uh well trained yet you're just letting them run concept and that's kind of what the, the inducti are because they don't have the time to to properly train them up and by 40k they think that's part of the tradition of of the way you learn to be a space wolf um and i think that type of fluff no matter what you think about the rules why is it the rules itself whether they're good or bad almost every single one of these these inducti legions really feel that they are appropriate to the legion there's a just to to touch on that point real quick there's a a colorway where they're showing like the what the inducti for the legions look like and the ultramarines one literally has a second founding chapter badge as part of the like inducti mark on his armor which i thought was a wonderful touch uh inducti are a template you place over either despoilers or tactical marines they induce a change in the subtype turn to inducti which means Independent characters can't join the squads and can't have artificer armor. It's a simple fix. It makes them feel different. Um, our daughter makes them support squads as well, so they can't do compulsory force. So no armies of inductide levy. So I don't have a problem with making them support squads. I, I haven't said much about them, but I really like the inductee. I really like that they can't be like buffed up with apothecaries and all of these, like, um, you know, it. Expe- 
expensive, for lack of a better term, upgrades that would be something that engines were in short supply of, you know, specialists, tech marines, apothecaries, chaplains, all that kind of stuff. They would be in short supply. So I like that they can't join them. The only thing I think they missed the ball on a little bit is I think there should have been an inductive right of war that let you bring them as regular troops and like gave your praetor the inductive type or whatever. Because there, there, it talks a little bit about inducted officers as well. And that's the only thing I think they missed the ball, really. I, I have to agree. I think that uh, uh, an inductive right of war, perhaps given the opportunity to put inductive in predators or something as well, um, would be a nice touch. That said, we've got 18 legions, so we've got 18 different new units, effectively, because every legion's inductive are subtly different. Uh, we're going to race through them and give them a rating. Uh, if you happen to play that legion and you're on the boarding here, uh, please pipe up with your thoughts about them, because you'll have a better idea than I will. We'll start at the start with the Dark Angels. They modify tactical squads, and um, they get kite chargers instead of bolt guns. What do you think, Lucas? I like these guys. I think having 20 dudes with Volkite Chargers is pretty sick. I also benefit from dudes with Volkite Chargers painted, so that's pretty cool. But the only thing I don't like about these guys is that they lose the Hexagrammaton subtype. And I'm not super upset about that, right? This is actually more of a complaint with the Dark Angels' rights of war with the Inducti themselves, and it be- it prevents them from being in some rights of war. It prevents them from, not only being in them, but it prevents them from, um, like, taking advantage of them, which is a little bit, in my opinion, unfortunate. I mean, yeah. The Dark Angels have some right of war issues. Uh, I've had long conversations with Brandon about trying to build army lists, and it's just a pain. Lucas, question. Do you think that these are better than just like a Volkite support squad or? 45 point. A 10 man Volkite support is 145, and a 10 man of these guys is 100. So now, obviously, it depends on what you're trying to do, you know, because the Volkite support guys can be smaller squads. Now, if I was going to take a five man, I wouldn't take Volkite chargers, right? I'd be taking some other more power pen, usually. But these guys can also go to 20. So having 20 guys with strength five. And then, so that's the thing I would have really liked to see, and this is one of the reasons why it disappoints me that you can't have them be a wing, is if you could have them be Deathwing, they could get plus one to hit with sword, and then you could give them swords, and then you could double tap, charge, plus one to hit with the chainsword. Now, maybe that's too good. I'm not saying, like, you know, I'm I'm just saying, it, it seems to me that would have been a perfect thing to be able to do. But I understand why these, like, new kind of like inducted members of them can't be in the death wing like i get it it's just mechanically it's a little bit unfortunate yeah it, it kind of feels they needed a special rule it's rather than putting them in outside of the hexagrammaton like lets them sort of exist without it so they could appear in any list list requires it they can be there yeah or maybe like they could be a hexag they could have a hex Hexagrammaton subtype, but couldn't ever benefit from it. You know, it sounds weird, but like I said, that would let them in some rights of war. But it's okay. Overall, I like like them. I'm not, like, upset. It's just that that's the only thing mechanically that I'm a little disappointed with. Well, next up we have the Emperor's Children, who uh, modified spoiler squads. 
Um, they get the ability to take charnable weapons on all of their dudes, which is fun, I guess. They also have a weird special rule, Perfection Embodied, which gives them a leadership characteristic of 10 when resolving shooting attacks. But there are some problems. They always counter being one less in a drawn combat, so they're always lose a draw. Just don't lose. No problem. I'm also not a fan of them not being LD10 for psychic checks, because, like, telepathy librarians are a problem, and uh, I feel like they should, like, be the guys who laugh at telepathy librarians. Well, there's still lead 10 for the pinning. So, like, the thing the telepathy librarian does, like, still would be make them lead 10. Now, the telepathy librarian has this problem where it doesn't matter if you're lead 10, because you just still fail. But I think what the, uh, I think what the psychic thing is there is trying to imply is you can't use the leadership 10 for psychic powers in the shooting phase, not if a psychic power is being used on you, because the only ones that I can think of that where a psychic power would affect your leadership actually is a morale check. And it does specifically say not psychic checks, which is not a psychic check when you're being hit with it. Yeah, I think they're just covering their bases there, and it just adds confusion. Um, I don't think we've got any... That's a good point, Will. Thank you. My my overall feeling on this is is there is trading out Heart of the Legion for pretty much almost never failing uh, pinning checks and morale checks so that you can get a close combat unit actually into close combat is a really good trade-off. And being able to also add them turnable savers, I, I think this is definitely one of the big winners of, of the Induct die because there's, I mean, the whole, oh, well, if it's a draw, you automatically lose. Bring a Vexilla. It'll reduce the chances of you getting a draw. I mean, and honestly, if you're getting a draw with these guys, uh, you did something wrong anyway. Well, I think, yeah, I think the charnable weapon is actually the thing that these guys are really cool. It's like you could give them all stuff that's like, you give every single dude a weapon that's breaching five. And or there's, isn't there one that has reach one? One of the charnable weapons has reach one. So like, that's pretty solid, I think. Yeah, I think the, Oh, you're already plus one, so I guess having another plus one isn't that good. Like, it is in some certain edge cases. It's not worth points, in my opinion. It, it is if you're going against a... Uh, it, it is if you're going against, like, characters, uh, like uh, HQs, because that'll put you actually at a higher initiative than them. It, it'd, be, it'd be kind of amusing to drop a block of ten of them on some command squad and go to I-6 and some serious wound in first. Um... The point for five points a model that would get expensive. Yeah, I wouldn't give it to everybody. Hesitation. No, you take twenty. You take twenty of these guys. You put about four of these in here. Give the sergeant, uh, you know, uh, something worthwhile, and let them go to town. You can do four already with the standard spoiler squad, which is why, it's, which is why it's a bit weird. But that's a good point. But you can have like four dudes with axes, and then have like because you know the emperor's children have a lot of. Um, synergy with the axes because they go at I2 and then you can have like four or five dudes with sabers or whatever you want and I think it's a pretty solid unit I think that that's cool that's my opinion I, I will say you want to be careful about treating these guys like uh, like veterans or like a more elite melee unit I think they're fantastic into uh, like tactical squads or like weapon skill 4 units but you still don't want to throw them into like uh, weapon skill five dudes like that is still not a fight they're going to do well in. 
No, no, they're not. Anyway, next up, Iron Warriors. Tactical squad update. Between war gear, lose heart of the Legion, but they get the Souls of Iron special rule, which means the initial rule means they must always shoot at the closest enemy within range, but they automatically pass any pinning tests, which is huge. Um, getting a block of 20 tactical marines that you know can't be pinned means you've got 20 tactical marines who can sit an objective and will gun down anything that tries to infiltrate near them. If you put a or augury scanner in there, or you just burn one of your movement reactions. Um, I think always having to shoot the closest target is something you can maneuver around should it ever be an issue. So my my opinion on this is it's not. I mean the again going back to the fluff, this is really kind of great fluff for the Iron Warriors. But as far as actual unit, I mean it's 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 really kind of a miss for the for the one big reason is aside from somebody who's packing a bunch of librarians. Most of the really heavy pinning-oriented armies are already all traders, including the Iron Warriors themselves. So being able to, to to have bonuses against pinning when you're not, unless you're going against a recon force, somebody who's decided they're going, you know, pure recon, it's your Night Lords, your um, your Iron Warriors. Those are the big pinning uh, forces. Dispute that well, because the other big source of pinning is Deep Strike. And when you've got one of those deep strike armies coming in, landing everywhere, hitting the tactical squad that's going to turn around and shoot the, shoot you guys up, or the 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 tactical squad that's sitting on that backfield objective, you're able to pin them, that deep strikes become a lot more effective. And being able to say you just can't pin this squad with that deep strike pin really changes the dynamic of that type of motion. I'm not saying you need stuff that's good against deep strike, but when deep strike works, it works really well. It's a solid defense against it. I mean, my my first blush reaction was that you know, the shooting restriction, considering this modifies a tactical squad, is is hugely significant. Um, and that, uh, in my experience, pinning is bad, but being forced to shoot at units your guys can't hurt is worse. Like I drive a rhino up close, and they're spending their turn shooting a rhino. Well, they spend a turn blowing up the Rhino because they are Iron Warriors. Losing Heart of the Legion for that, like I, I just don't think it's worth yeah. it. I think I don't think it replaces tactical squads for Iron Warriors, but if I was running an Iron Warriors list, which I always do in my head, I think there's a place for them. They, yeah, they're definitely not. They're not as good as say last two we've talked about. Well, that was a really good point where you made where you said. That that, like, you know, I think a lot of people are going to try to use, use the Rhino to, like, block them, you know, since they have to shoot the closest thing. But it is possible for them to kill the Rhino, whereas any other Legion, it would not be. Well, Night Lords can do it too, but you know what I mean? Like, most of the other tactical squads can't blow up a Rhino with shooting, but they can. So that's actually a good, that's a really good point that I really didn't think of. That's actually what I was thinking was, like, I'll just try the rhino right up in front of my dude. It's the, if it's the closest, if it's the closest, there's a good chance you can walk behind it as well. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, it's, I, th I don't, I'm not as worried about like some rhino rushing me. Like, oh, you've rhino blocked me. I'll just blow the rhino up and maybe blow you up as well. No, what you do is you put a, a land raider or a saber or something else there that has just a little bit more armor. Yeah, and then you're using a 300 point unit to stop me using a 100 point unit. I, I, like I said, I, 
I could see me. I could see myself taking it, and if I had the possibility, I would take it more than I'd take the uh, word word bearers one, which we'll get to. I, I agree with that, but we'll get to the word bearers later. Okay. So next up, white scars. Uh, the white scars are on a despoiler squad. Convoluted, as I think the word we're looking for here. Yes. Yeah. So they get this weird ability, which basically means they get score victory points if they win challenges. Well, it's not so much challenges. It's just that they have to go fight fight something bigger. They they have to go fight something that's bigger and badder than them, and then survive. And and they get a five up damage mitigation that they can take against instant death attacks, which is pretty spicy. Um, and they can take can't take the white scars power glaive. They can take other power weapons. I mean that's it's it's classic white scars. Like it's kind of yeah, um, take a block of twenty of these in a sort of transports. Not a bad choice. I forget. Can the spoilers take melta bombs? They can. The crack grenades and melta bombs run these against a uh, a dreadnought and just have enough bodies to make sure that at least uh, some of them survive. And you know, there's your there's your uh, free victory point. Yeah, my my despoilers. Well, my despoilers are weird, but I'm pretty sure a despoilers what can handle a, a power ax, a five power axes. You can handle a. I mean, ideally, you run them into a uh, double gun dreadnought, and then it's just a free victory point. So. At risk of giving up my um, my secret strat, it's not that secret. But you run these guys in Sagir Mazan. Anytime you make a charge, you are fearless for that turn. So it makes the likelihood that you lose your morale check and get swept zero. So it makes the likelihood that you survive much, much higher. So it makes you getting that victory point almost guaranteed. Also in Sagir Mazan... Um, Infantry units, units made up completely of the infantry type, are worth no victory points ever. So you're not worth anything, but you surviving is worth one to you. It's very, I think it's very good in Segar Mazon. That's, that's really fun. You just run a horde of them and just, you know. Yeah, I think running 80 of them is a solid thing to do. <laughs> uh, Space Wolves, another despoiler squad. A will, of course. Yep. Uh, and and as I said before, uh, I really love the flavor on this because it really does feel like the early, uh, early days of a blood claw. Um, as far as rules are concerned, I'm kind of a toss up on whether I would take these or um, gray slayers or gray stalkers. They are cheaper than either option, and it's nice that I can choose to give them she- give up my bolt pistol to give them combat shields because. Uh, who doesn't want a six-up invul save? But giving up my bolt pistol also means that I'm reducing the number of attacks that I have on a unit that's focused entirely on attacks. Uh, I do find it a little odd that they can pick up chain axes, but at the same time, plus one strength and shred seems really, really nice, especially if you're running either the uh, either the howl of uh, Morkai. Uh, Warlord trait, which gives you a plus one strength on the charge, or if you're running the Bloodied Claw, which can also uh, uh, give you bonuses on the charge. So, I mean, it is... You get Furious Charge 1 with the Bloodied Claw, so, I mean, you're definitely then uh, ripping into a unit real hard. Um, I mean, then there's the whole, I can run a little bit further, uh, but it's a disordered charge. On a unit that's already having, if you've given them combat shields, has already given up a, an attack, 
I mean, it's a mixed bag. It can be uh, one of the things I like is it's got a lot of options in it. So modeling could be a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, overall, it's got a great feel to it. I don't think it's a necessarily a true winner, but it is definitely not a loser. I think it's something that can enhance an army that's already going that direction, but I don't think it's like a really good, oh, I really absolutely want to try and find a way to fit these guys into something. You, you really kind of have to build an idea around them. Um, and there, there's... I was thinking it's going to drop in a list, but they're, they're, they're pretty cool. You, you're not going wrong by taking them, but I don't know that they're necessarily something that I go, oh yeah, I definitely want to take these guys over something else. Will, would you say that sort of their their biggest problem is that there's already like three other unique troops choices for Space Wolves? Well, it's not. Well, there's uh, there's only two other unique troop choices, and part of the problem is is the two other unique tr troop choices kind of depending on how you kit these guys out. The other troop choices are already doing that job and doing it better. But at the same time, these guys are cheaper. You're looking at uh, Gray Slayers and Gray Stalkers start baseline 145, uh, whereas I think uh, these guys start 110. Is it a spoiler squad? I don't remember the cost of it. It's 100. So yeah, I mean, you're, you're saving a bunch of points right off the bat um, because most of your uh, upgrade options are very similar between the two. The biggest upgrade difference between slayers and stalkers versus these guys is i can fit a thunder hammer on the sergeant these guys don't even get a sergeant which is one of their biggest down downsides because now you're looking at you don't have a sergeant so you've lost yet another attack on a unit that's entirely about close combat you've also lost that additional pip of leadership in a weird place i i agree that leadership drops huge like I said, my opinion is is I don't think they're they're bad, and I don't think you would be wrong for taking them. But I don't see them as uh, unless you're specifically building a, a list themed around them. I don't see them as something people are going to generally be wanting to bring. Okay. Well, next up we got the Imperial Fist, and we're not going to spend much time on these guys at all because they're actually kind of bland. They're a tactical squad that can take a heavy weapon per ten. They have a special rule that allows them to take a additional. Uh, they get on that special weapon. Losing Heart of the Legion, it's really not worth it. Um, Imperial Fists have a lot have a lot of really good options and this just isn't one of them. So, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and that's basically all the radio time I'm going to give them on this one. Um, if you're an Imperial Fist player, I don't think you're hurting for it. So. Right, just take one of your 40 other really good things. Just leave these guys at home, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're kind of cool, but it's like mm. I I feel like the heavy weapons are are a smidge overcosted for what you're getting for them, but yeah, this is I I feel like there's a couple of of inducti that feel bland, and I definitely feel like fists are the are the mayonnaise of this particular bunch. And, and ultramarines are the miracle whip. Look, we'll get the ultramarines. I'm I'm super stoked. I love them. Okay. Uh, let's go to the um, Night Lords, because the Night Lords one is the opposite of mayonnaise. This is the spicy Tabasco sauce. Um, the spoiler squad, uh, they can't take chainsaws. They get a special shiv axe, a uh, shiv weapon, um, which has breaching 6+, so all of the insane murderers can shiv you to death. And they don't do challenges, because they just mob you instead, and a bunch of guys just shiv you we also need to note that the uh, sergeant drops down to a leadership seven, but at least he isn't just outright replaced by another basic model. 
That's true. Yes, they are lower leadership because they're just a bunch of guys with shivs. Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, we were discussing this extensively at the event, the Night Lord player and I, after we wrapped up our game. And these guys are like he was really excited for them. Um, and his biggest excitement was the fact that, first of all, the rule is just literally a mob up and gang the guy. And because in a challenge, a challenge is a separate fight. I don't know reading this that it works this way. But at the same time, I could see where he was coming from is you're basically having two guys gang up on the other character and a challenge fight is a separate thing, which means two guys ganging up on one character now means they outnumber him for their Night Lord rule. I don't know if that interprets that way or not. I, I haven't really dove deep enough into it. But all the same, I, I really love the flavor of this. Of Yeah, I'm going to fight you. By the way, it's me and my buddies over there. I, I'm, I'm believing the uh, counters outnumbering because it's number of bottles and base contact, which, yeah, it's just fluffy all the way down, and it's a pretty good set of rules. Um, I mean, they're not going to murderize, you know, air tours or anything. Yeah, they're going to cause, they're going to punch well above their weight. Um, and they're cheap because you don't have to pay for their weapons. I also feel like modeling a bunch of these guys with like all the different like knives and stuff from Necromunda and other games would be super fun. Oh yeah, and, and I, I have to say, as I would, I would trade uh, breaching six for shred pretty much any day of the week on a cheap unit. Well, I mean, the thing is, if they if they are able to charge something that's pinned, these guys are still they don't replace Spite of the Legion. So these guys. And it goes back to, you know, what we were discussing before about Night Lords being a pinning army. So you 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 pin you pin with your recon marines or your or your night terror squads or something like that, and then have these guys charge in. It's like they'll get that plus one attack and then, you know, oh gee, every guy's got three attacks base. Oh, sorry, four attacks on the charge. We're ending on six plus. It's gonna be brutal. Um yeah, I really like them. Uh Blood Angels. And you were talking about them in a minute ago? I think uh, I'll see. They are a breacher. For the squad. Yeah, yeah. Um, which actually, I am not. I actually do. Not, which I actually don't have any. I actually prefer uh, assault squads. I like that ability to deep strike. I like that additional, um, you know, mobility. But let's see. You can't sweep in advance. Uh, but if you do destroy a unit, you get fear for the rest of the game. Um, I like that. I like. Uh, you know, I think uh, with just how much, you know, psychology uh, plays in, you know, has a big effect in Horus Heresy, I think, you know, anything that, like, plays to that mechanic um, is good. Um, I think that you need to make sure that um, your despoilers uh, survive. It, a re it's a really interesting, and we'll get to the which is a bearers in a second, and they're a very similar rule. I like them. My problem with Blood Angels is that it's contingent on you doing something. Like, they will get better game and Doctai have a tendency just to show up and die. Exactly. Um and the thing is to get them in a position where they can uh you know make that charge and you can get in Carmine Fury because you have to do that on the charge now. Um you kind of just you kind of have to give them like a transport, like a bus or something. Um which is just going to add to the cost of it. Yeah. And it's not like you because you can't have those uh, special characters, you can't make them the you know rue of a death star or anything. They just Right, yeah, you can't put an apoth you know apothecary in with them. Um, so yeah, that is I'm kind of neutral on them to be honest. I don't see myself using them. Uh, this is not because I have forty um, you know assault marines, uh, sorted Mark Five and Mark Four. 
uh, EA Mark V. I love Mark V. But, um, I mean, this is not something that makes me want to run out and, you know, get another box to, like, actually start building uh, some despoilers. On the personal I, I'm, 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 I think I'm going to save my critique of them until we get to the word bearers, because I'm going to put them in the same boat as that. I feel like Blood Angel despoilers are already in a rough spot because the Legion really, really wants you to run assault squads. And this does not make me want to run despoiler squads. Mostly because I can't guarantee they'll win a fight. And like I'll have to dedicate, like, let's say I want to run 20 of them. I'm not going to have them 20 foot slogging around because they'll just get shot apart because they don't have an apothecary and no defense. So I'm then putting them in a Charybdis or a Spartan. And this plan gets worse the more words I put behind it. So, And with the Charybdis, if you want them to assault the turn they come down, you need to bring the drop pod assault, uh, right war. And that means you have to come, you have to make your army a drop pod army in that, in that case. Uh, and really, if I'm bringing the Charybdis and I have a Charybdis, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stuff Terminators in that thing. And let's move on. Iron Hands, Legion Inductai, these are the guys who really interest me. The Iron Hands Inductai are really fun. So they're Tactical Squad. Um, they lose half to the Legion, but they get for Forbidden Augmentations. They also gain the Heavy type. A Tactical Sergeant can take Phosphex. Yeah, I was going to say, as, as, a, uh, as an Iron Hands player, I would take these just for the fluff. These guys own, I love them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, they they maintain Hearth Legion, they, le they lose Fury of the Legion, which means they still have a feel-no-pain when they're standing on objectives. And their Forbidden Augmentations, you roll the dice, and on a five or more, increase your weapon skill and ballistic skill. The, the only thing I don't like about the Forbidden Augmentation is it's a once-every-turn, and so uh, bookkeeping on this, if you have more than... Well, bookkeeping on this in, in and of itself is going to be a pain in the butt, but if you've got more than one unities, bookkeeping be, just becomes a real pain, but otherwise, I, I absolutely love everything about these guys. For me, this is a, a unit I'd spend 145 points on to get 10 of them in a rhino with a phosphex bomb. They drive up the table, they sit on objective, and they throw a phosphex at the enemy when they come close. Because that's just going to be a scary thing to and shift. And they're cheap and efficient for what they do. And actually, heavy is pretty fun on tactical squads, because someone's going to come at you with some blast weaponry. You just get to reroll those saves. It just makes them durable and fun and incredibly iron hands. And if that special rule doesn't come up much in the game for you, it doesn't come up much. Like, you, you get more out. You get stuff out of it just by that base armament. Next up is World Eaters, is the only thing I would add. Yeah! World Eaters, nice nice and simple. To spoil the squads, are we surprised? Um, they swap out Heart of the Legion for Raving Madmen. Eh. Which, yeah. Boring and bad. I, you know, like, as, as a World Eaters enjoyer, I feel like Ravening Madmen is already one of the worst rules unit, a unit can have. I think being treated as weapon skill three in a melee army is already like cripplingly terrible because it, it just means that you have to take a whole lot more punishment and they lose their built-in feel no pain. So like they charge in, they get some attacks, and then they are dutifully wiped off the table by anything. Well, it's the, weapon skill three on it's the unit of militia with the ferocious warrior right charge you their weapon skill higher than you now they may just bayonet you to death and that would just be embarrassing 
hitting you on threes, wounding you on threes, and then like you're losing guys on a two plus when you don't roll a three. I I would rather have seen these guys reflect like the more um kind of animalistic traits we see from the world eaters in the later fluff like they they lose you know spite and they always have to charge the closest unit but they get like you know an additional plus one attack or something or they get you know some kind of uh some kind of benefit uh, uh on the charge this is just the minus one strength is okay, but they still won't survive the swings. And I think that's the like weapon skill is way more important than toughness. And Ravening Madmen is arguably it's one of the things that make Red Butchers the worst terminators in the game. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my hot take. This is bad. Don't take. No, I'm with you there. Um, I'll leave that there and jump straight into your other legion, the Ultramarines, the wonderful Indukti who get to take. Special weapons per ten men, and and sir, they know mostly no fear. Oh, yeah, they know a little bit of fear. Yes, yeah, they get an they get an extrable, which is a very fun roll. Basically, modify no modifiers in shooting. Yeah, um, one of the one of the themes of the inducti mechanics is that there's a little bit of like the forty k spice, like the 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 down the line. You can see how these turn into what we have in 40k. And with the Ultramarines, it's very much, here is a tactical squad. Do you like tactical squads? Here is a tactical squad. And I love it forever. I'm going to build an army of these. Yes. And I wish they could have taken a missile launcher. I I wish, yeah, I do wish they could take a special and a heavy. Uh, but I'm I'm still super content with, like, ten guys who know no fear. Like, that's just sick. I love it. Yeah. And I think the dual plasma gun in that squad is going to have play. I think the dual plasma is really good. I like dual melta. So 160 points, you stick these guys in a rhino, and they are like a really annoying target. The fact that these are modifying tacticals means that like support squads are a thing you you sort of struggle with with ultramarines. I really dig these guys overrunning support squads in most cases. Because you have a blade of wounds, you don't feel bad when you're uh, uh, when all of your guys get murdered. So uh, you could take the sergeant with a combi melter, and that'd give you three melter shots on that first mm -hmm. shot off. Mm -hmm. Not terrible, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I really do feel like this is a a very solid addition. I would really have to consider like, do I want to run the regular tactical squad or do I want to run these guys? Um, and, you know, inexorable is, is no joke. We talk about, uh, you know, how much we valued units who get bonuses against spinning. These guys do as well. So bonuses against, you know, everything but I think what fear and corrupted is uh, 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 good for them. So, yeah, big fan of this unit. Um, I don't know, as as a man who has built five separate Ultramarines armies, I don't know that this would be, like, a thing I would rate for like your first 30k army would you want to run you know 10 of these guys but i feel like if you're planning out like your second or third ultramarines force uh because you have the brain worms like i do you know this is a very solid choice and i think modeling them is going to be a ton of fun i'm personally going to go for the rogue trader ultramarine scheme with the uh white stripe down the uh uh down the helmet that's going to be my uh my induct eye look let's try and fly through the remaining ones uh death guard 
tactical squads again, they gain the ability to, to take Alchem Flamers and they get a kind of just distinctly resilient version. It's a placement for Heart of the Legion and it gives them a well, no pain that lasts nearly all the time. Like it, it's okay. It's the fact that you can take Alchem Flamers on them is really what it boils down to. That, that's the sweet spot for them. That's really good, yeah. Again, another, another small little squad who'll run in there and get stuff done. Thousand Suns confuse me. Um, Thousand Suns always confuse me. Uh, they're in Duck Dyer about the same. Well, well, the Thousand Suns in Duck Dyer are easy to explain. They took the worst uh, Legion rule in the entire game and doubled down on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, they get special bolt pistols and bolters, and they get a spell that allows them to use those guns even better. Uh, but it doesn't really do much. No, no. The important part to remember there is that uh, you have to take uh, perils checks, and if you fail, it you're guaranteed to lose at least two models with these guys instead of uh, one. So these guys will die fairly quickly. Uh, as all thousand suns should. That's all I want to. Sons of Horus. Now this is a different kettlefish. Upgrade with the spoiler squad. Ah, oh, so good. They get themselves chain axes for one point a model. Which is really cheap. Delicious. Um, and they get Spite. They replace Spite of the Legion with Creed of Brutality. Yeah, if they're near someone with Weapon Skill 5, they get better. Uh, a lot of Weapon Skill 5 in, in the Sons of Horus lists. As a, as, as a planning a Sons of Horus army, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really eyeing these guys as cheap alternatives to things like uh, Reavers. Sons of Horus have a billion special characters. They have a million ways to put a weapon skill five units out. And the six inch thing is just be within a model that has six, not wholly within or any other kind of limit. So uh, I feel like for Sons of Horus, this is a very, very easy thing to trip. And then uh, Rampage and Furious Charge uh, plus the one point chain swords like... Uh, I don't want to say I like these better than Reavers, but I do like these better than Reavers. They're going to be cheaper than Reavers, and they can run up, walk them up the table with a Dreadnought, which is weapon skill 5, even if that Dreadnought's got two guns on the arms. <laughs> the Dreadnought shoots things up, and it, they fight better because he's around. Um, yeah, these guys are sick. Um, arguably, I would say these are in the, the like top uh, top two for Inductai units. Um, just great. Which is a shame, because obviously they're Featured a lot in the book, as are the Imperial Fists ones, and uh, yeah, the Imperial Fists definitely being the bad side of that equation once again. This brings me to the Word Bearers, and I've talked about them. So, the Word Bearers replace a uh, Legion Despoiler Squad, which is fine. I love the Legion Despoiler Squad, they're centering my Word Bearers lists all the time. They lose Heart of the Legion for the Empty Vessel special rule. And they have to be traitors, but Bearers are traitors, so that's not a huge deal. Basically, Roll the dice and roll well enough. There are a couple of ways to modify the dice, and it suddenly becomes corrupted and gains Furious Charge. <sighs> furious Charge is great, but Furious Charge isn't as good as Spite of the Legion. And I can make the unit corrupted by spending 25 points on the unit, and I probably want to do that anyway because I don't want units to be corrupted at the start of the game because it's at the start of the game when you're going to make those leadership tests, which will make them fall back before they get to charge they've charged, generally everything's been done. Um, very much like the Blood Angels one. To get these guys up to power, I'm having to kill something. And while I like the idea of killing things with my units, 
this is a hundred dollar hundred point two hundred point throwaway unit. This isn't the four hundred points just spoiler squad I run front and center in my lists, the one that's, you know, armed with all the equipment because it runs around as the bodyguard unit for my Praetor and a Diablerist. Because I with my blood bearers I run a giant squad of them with my Praetor in it, so they can eat the perils of the warp when he inevitably blows his head up. Yeah, but I can't do that because they're in duct eye, so they just end up being this like weird, useless unit. Um I get where they were going with it. I think it's really thematic. I just... I don't know. If this had been a replacement for a tactical squad and you could have done it through shooting people up, I think there may have been some play. But, yeah. Anyone got any comments after that? Nope. Um, okay, with that, let's move on to Salamanders. Again, the Legion to spoiler list. These guys own. Yeah, the Sergeant gets a weapon skill of five, which is... Yes. Um, get to make rerolls to hit with melee weapons if they roll a one, makes that sergeant even better. And they can dragons breath flamers or melter gun for one in ten. Guys, lot. Yeah. If if there is one unit that I would say is the best in this list, these guys are it, man. They're. They feel like just a straight-up upgrade. Yeah, it's like, hey, my 100-point Despoiler Squad, even if I don't give them any weapons, a good chance of taking out anything of equal value. Weapon skill 5 on the Sergeant, reroll once to hit, just, uh, uh, say less. I'm just going to walk into combat, and I'm going to win that challenge, and then you're going to flee, because I've won the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's really good. So... Sure, there are some Salamanders players out there who love it. I don't see many Salamanders players around. It is a shame. Salamanders are kind of cool. Yeah, they are. Last two, Raven Guard. Upgrades to the tactical squads. Gives them a replacement of Heart of the Legion called Unchanged Conviction. Allows them to run away instead of failing a pinning check, I think. The, the issue is, is that it, it's situational. It's not bad, but it's not great. And it is nice that they're not running away, and it's nice that they specifically said that you can't run off the board with it, but it also means that you're not just sitting there on an objective, which is what you're doing with your tactical marines, especially late in the game. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, I continue and make you run away. Um, I I really like Raven Guard. These guys don't really fit to me. Like, I feel like... What the Alpha Legion got is is more fitting for Raven Guard. The obviously, to me anyway, somebody who is designing units in this book fought a bunch of telepathy librarians and was real annoyed by it. But like seven inch running directly away from the unit that pinned you is is it gives your opponent sort of control over where your units go, which doesn't feel good. And yeah, I guess they can't be pinned, but like, I'm giving up a, a five up feel no pain for that. And I'm getting shot a lot more often than I'm getting pinned. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, I can't see the upside. Um, I'd rather be the Iron Warriors and have to shoot something closest. Yeah. Okay, final up, the Alpha Legion, the sneakiest of boys. Swap out the tactical squad. They lose Heart of the Legion for Treacherous Law. Treacherous law means they can't be the target of a shooting attack in the first turn of the game. This is this is not good, but it is funny, and I will take funny any day of the week. Um, they have 
uses, I suspect. If my opponent is shooting tactical marines on turn one, I'm already doing very well. Like, this is already a very good game for me. I mean, the best play I could use of this game is putting it in a giant block of them, or several giant blocks of them on the table, and deep striking the rest of your army. Being like, I'm showing up turn two. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, you can't shoot me, I'm sure you're going to show up next turn, good luck. I, I do say that I, I have to tend to agree that uh, this is f- feels far more Raven Guard than it does Alpha Legion, but it is still kind of funny as Alpha Legion. I mean, there are some missions where we can score turn one now, so you put them on an objective and be like, I'm going to score points first turn, and like I said, and then if you've got nothing else on the table, and it's like, and next turn I'm going to show up in your deployment zone, and it's just like, ugh. Yeah, I, I, I like that this is an interesting ability. I, I obviously don't think it's great because my opponent probably isn't shooting tactical squads turn one. Uh, but there are uses. I, I do feel like it can be useful, which is more than I can say for the Raven Guard ability. Okay, I think we've talked about Inductai for long enough, long, way longer than I originally planned to. Inductai take forever. Oh, the other rules in this book there are upgrades for the Imperial Fists and Sons of Horus. Really happy with the upgrades. I don't think we need to go into super detail with talking through all the steps. The special characters seem good. The additional weapons they both got are really nice and flavorful and slightly powerful. And the fact that they've given additional warlord traits is a really nice way to change up both the armies. I don't think anyone was in need of them, but... I just want to shout out that Imperial Fist scout squads now get uh, breaching shotguns, which is hilarious and wonderful. The uh, rules for Evander Garius are fantastic. I love the uh, the little bit that he gets for if uh, Robel Doran is on the same battlefield. That's uh, I love doing mega games. This feels like a very much a mega game rule. Sons of Horus win extremely big with the Karsoran power weapons going out to everybody. That is that is really really uh, a big deal. And I know many of the uh, people I've talked to are really irked that uh, Varen Ashuradon has weapon skill seven. But it's beautiful and I love it. Um, Weapon Tool 7's yeah, gorgeous. With an add initiative, with sudden strike, AP2, murderous 6 axe. Mmm, beautiful. One thing I want to throw out is they have got a wonderful uh, power axe, breaching 5 specialist weapon, AP3. That may actually have some play in some battle builds if you're trying to find a second weapon, but with a Paragon Sword. It's going to be a pretty cheap way to give a Paragon Sword plus 1 attack. Um, you probably won't actually use it as a weapon, but. I find the special weapons that are cheap are fairly rare and far between. I'm uh, I'm looking at doing a unit of veterans with the uh, power to bar, um, which uh, gives them a breaching four at strength five. So um, with built-in AP three at initiative, like I I love both of these options. Um, I think you're you're right to shout out the uh, specialist weapon uh, uh, on the Carcer and Power Axe, but. Uh, yeah, this is this is a really big deal. You know, having having units with these weapons rolling around is is pretty scary. And I think to me, I felt like Sons of Horus was missing like what is my like really scary melee threats? Like what are the things that I'm throwing into melee besides big Horus that's that's something. And I feel like veterans with these weapons feel like something mm, to me. Absolutely. And same with the Imperial Fist. I think the the shotguns can be taken by veterans as well. Um, there were there are several really scary builds now out there for Imperial Fists, and um, 
Brofist didn't need the help. Didn't, but maybe they did, because maybe we've got builds now that aren't going to be about Flanks Warden. Nope. Phalanx Warders and uh, Huskarls for the rest of the edition. Well, Ben, you got anything to add on those upgrades? Um, not really right now. I think you guys uh, covered it very well. Let's talk a minute about the Crater Assassin, the Infernus Abomination. Absolutely love this guy. Uh, he's got a lovely bit of fluff. So we talked about him being a cult's abomino, and there's going to be more of them. Uh, this is the first one we've seen. He has a really mean profile. R brilliant special rules, basically giving him weapons that can change form. And uh, he can regenerate. I'm kind of really enjoying him. A few things I will say, though, about him is, like the other assassins, he does fill, fill a HQ slot. I have found to be a very crowded slot in Traitor Forces, especially with the possibility of now taking demons and the like. Like, I need those additional psychers. But, um, yeah, it's definitely up there as a answer to a well, not necessarily an answer to assassins, but a good reply for assassins. I think he's strictly better than all of the melee loyalist assassins uh, at being a melee threat because he has an ad initiative Thunderhammer. Yeah, the the power of this model is that he's really going to to if you're if you're a legion that wants like an HQ melee threat uh, that can maybe throw down with a dreadnought. Or at least put some wounds on it. Uh, I think this guy does it at a at a pretty cheap price point. Okay. Um, let's go around and talk about the Ducarions. I'm really enjoying these tanks. I know, Munji, you are a huge tank head, especially with the Orc Marines. I'm really excited by anything that makes tanks better in this edition. I am probably the only Blood Angels tank head, but I love tanks. I would play tanks even though I was playing Raven Guards. I, I love uh, armor. But yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it uh, gives him a little boost. Uh, um, I was fortunate enough to win a second Krytos at the event in Kansas City. So I now have a squadron of Krytoses with Decorians, because yeah, why not? <clears throat> so I'm presuming everyone listening to this podcast knows the basic idea of these guys. We talked about them before when they were previewed. These are like characters you can put inside tanks, but the rules don't make any of the particular guys... Um, Anything other than just a tank with some special abilities. And, and it is worthwhile to note they only upgrade certain tanks, uh, so you can't stick these guys in, like, uh, Cerberus or a Typhon, for example. Yeah, we're looking at the Predators, the Sakarans, the Sakaran Punishers, and the Krytoses, which is a pretty small list of tanks. There's no indicators. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, because I'm building... A squadron of uh, Vindicators, and apparently Vindicators can't have them, Land Raiders can't have them. I was kind of like, you know, a little puzzled by that. Well, I think it's... The units that can have them are units I would describe as main battle tanks. Yeah. Things like the Vindicator are a tank destroyer. They would not be, you know, they aren't a battle tank. And your Land Raiders are infantry fighting vehicles. I mean... Yeah. You don't use them for that nature. They are incredibly durable, but they are infantry fighting vehicles. It's really nice. I wish the list was longer. I'm with Ben. I think the list being short means that, for example, Vindicators getting getting charged or firing as a reaction suck. It's bad. It feels bad. And, you know, these guys open up options for uh, four units, but 
the units that are not on this list, it feels like sort of a, a almost an unintentional nerf. When I, I generally feel like most of the heavy tanks didn't need it. One thing I will say, though, because the units that can take them are defined by the tank, by the upgrade, leaves the door open for more of these coming down the road. And like, if we get some down the road that could be four Vindicators, which may be a bit more like, is your guy who drives in a siege tank. You know, I think when I first heard about uh, the Decrons, I commented that I didn't think that uh, actually having the Decron modeled on the tank would really be enforced outside of, you know, Warhammer World. Um, I think you need some indicator of, you know, what tank has that upgrade, even if it's just like a little marker, a little coin you put on the tank. What, what are you guys thoughts on that? Because I prefer to have my tanks with just closed hatches. That's just me aesthetically. So I I modeled all of my tanks rather individually. Like I like the idea of each tank kind of having its own heraldry, even if it's within a squadron. I like the idea of modeling it, like maybe not necessarily with a guy, but maybe like you've gotten some gold on the, you know, turret, and that's to indicate that this is the Decurion tank or something. But modeling it in some way, I think feels right for the sort of game that I think Heresy is. I think, you know, in sort of more casual games, I'd be certainly happy to play against, like, you know, using a token or something to market, but I think at something like an event, I, you know, having it modeled would be a, a preference for me, for sure. What would you, even just, like, painting the tank a little different, maybe a little bit more gold on it or something, something to... In I think it depends on the actual... I mean, it for the defense, or it was a good example... The Defensor, I probably could get away with a small paint job, because Defensor, which is the first we got here, um, if you point defense, um, it talks about requiring... It must have a pinnacle weapon anyway. As soon as you put a pinnacle weapon on the tank, you're starting to already do some modeling. If you put a pinnacle weapon on, then, you know, then you can put something else on the uh, cupola, or wherever you mounted that pinnacle weapon, make it look like it's... I, I, I would say that this is not such a game-breaking upgrade. That if I was against an opponent that, you know, had a preference, or if I was at an, at an event that required you model, you know, I would just not take it, you know. The the defensor isn't, the locus, I feel like, is. Because you mean that main, uh, uh, that battle gun, yeah. Yeah. Returning fire with Gravis Laz cannons or Kratos Melta cannons, like, I, I would want to know if that's a thing that unit can do, you know what I'm saying? But that locust is easy to model because, as part of the upgrade, it requires it requires a communications link. Comes with that nuncio box. So you could model that on by putting some big ass communication equipment on that tank, and that would clearly identify it as the tank carrying the locust. Hmm. I mean, I, but yeah, I, I think what what we're leaning towards is that you want it to be modeled in some way on the tank, just so it's identifiably like this is at a glance. I can tell that's the tank that has the guy in it. I can, I can, yeah, yeah, and it, whether you can do that through paint, as I said, I think you can get away with it for the defensor, not only because the rules are least offensive, the least, it's the rules are still pretty good. We talked about the defensor point defense before on the podcast. This is one of the ones they previewed. The idea here is that you can buy your guns a lot. The thing that surprised me, I mean, well, I've really enjoyed with these rules. There's nothing stopping you having multiple of these guys in a squadron. You can have a tank with a Katsor and another tank with a Locust. 
they can exist side by side, and then you get all of the reactions in a single unit. Um, you're dropping, you know, a lot more points, but yeah, I mean, you know, not taking, you know, a Decaron, you're saving, you know, potentially a lot of points. So yeah, there's. I mean, you don't have to take these. You know, you're not only crippling your army if you don't take these. If you're taking something like a Krytos, you know, is spending thirty more points on it that much of a deal? <laughs> you get that much more use out of it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you think, Monji? Do you have any comments about the general ones? Um, I think a lot of it with the predators. Um, I think the Dakaron's going to be like more useful on um, depending on your loadout. If you're running, if if you decide if you want your predators to kind of like hang back and kind of like the uh, like in your deployment zone, like if you equip them with all all las cannons. I think that you are not going to be shot at as much as if you have something that's maybe like a Melta Predator that you kind of want to get close in so you can get that armor bane and whatnot. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be you know more in the uh, range of enemy guns. I think you know a Decaron may be more useful in that case. Um, like I have four Predators and they're all lads, so I don't see that. Think that the Decoron would be useful as much to me because my predators don't get shot at as much because they're a long way away. Um, my thoughts are the defensor is very mediocre. Twenty points plus a pentel. You ideally want pentel multi-multis, which are I think twenty to twenty-five points a tank. So you're talking like roughly forty-ish points per tank to to make it useful. And over a squadron, you're talking three to four tanks in a squadron. You maybe only upgrade one to a Decurion, uh, so that's 20 points plus the 60 to what, 75 points for the Deltas. Uh, so we're talking like 100 points on a squadron to make the Defensor worthwhile. And at that point, it's like, maybe I want something else. Um, the Locust gives you the Nuncio Vox for free and then says, you know, your battle weapon is going to fire in Overwatch. So if you're running, let's say, a lot of Predator LAS cannons, suddenly your Gravis LAS cannon gets to open up on a return fire, which can make the shooting unit think again or think twice about uh, shooting into that unit. Um, now, the big thing here is, I believe, for the Locust, it is only the tanks with the Locust can, do the re can fire the battle weapon. So it is still pricey to do it to upgrade an entire squadron, but man, like being able to open up into some Iron Havocs or, you know, the kind of bigger, like a unit of Sun Killers and return fire and vaporize a bunch of them for uh, killing your tanks feels real good. Who gets to react with the battle cannon is very much depends upon the reading of the rule. I'm my reading of the rule states that anyone in a unit with a Locust can do it because you once you've activated the Locust reaction. Everyone in the unit is activated. Yeah, it's whenever they target the unit. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Yeah, so you just need one locust. So to me, that's way better than the uh, than the defensor option because you're getting one guy who comes with a Nunzio Vox free, and you're then returning fire with, I don't know, four Gravis Las Cannons, which seems pretty spicy. I kind of like. I mean, I'd spend thirty points on a Nunzio Vox on my Krytos just because my Krytos is going to be in best point of view. It means whatever it's looking at, suddenly my whirlwind scorpiuses aren't scattering when they're shooting at it. I I I legitimately think this is a great pick for uh Sakaran squadrons as well. 
Uh, I think Sakarans tend to get in the mix a bit more uh, because of the the auto cannons, the heavy bolters. Like they're going to be more like fighting infantry and stuff. And being able to return fire with their auto cannons is massive. I believe the main gun on the Sakaran Punisher is already strength six, so you don't need this to return fire with it. Um, the Punisher's in a weird spot, but. I mean, it's nice if you have Sponson Laz cannons. So um, we do have two Legion Pacific Decorian upgrades as well the, the Lanius, the Sons of Horus, the Sagittar for the Imperial Fists. These are both really weird, and these definitely need to be fully modeled. The uh, Horus is a giant banner and a giant machine gun, so they can gun down their own men so they don't run away. It's kind of fun. Imperial Fists to do the Imperial Fist thing and shoot things really well with an assault cannon. Both of these Sakan are not worth 40 points, in in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you'll take them because you're looking for ways to hobble your own lists because you're running Sons of Horus and Imperial Fists, and they're already great lists. So, like, so, so the Imperial Fist guy gives you Skyfire on your on the assault cannon. So you're Skyfiring at a Xiphon? Yeah, um, you get you get precision shots five plus. Now that's fairly useful with an assault cannon. Oh yeah, you get sky fire or precision shots. Precision shots, so you can precision shoot. You can snipe people with an assault cannon, which you know is funny, but not forty points funny. And then the Sons of Horus guy, like leadership nine, is kind of a big deal, but it is not like forty points on an armor thirteen tank big deal to me, although. Putting it on a Kratos is really funny. Oh, it's... Yeah. Like, armor 14 with the flare shield, and just being, like, driving this Kratos in the middle of a bunch of, like, inducti or tactical squads or something, uh, that could be really funny. Um, I might have talked myself into building this, never mind. Yeah. The Imperial Fists one does come with an augury scanner, and that's worth 40 points on a big gun. If you put it, it, well, on the right unit, like a bunch of Punishers. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you've come too close to my Punishers, prepare to destroy by yeah. them. Um, yeah. So that's all the rules for the units. The rest of the books got the rules for ZM and missions. That said, conclusions for the day. Have you got what this stuff in this book is going to be changing your lists up? And Will, oh no, Will's already left. Uh, ben, do you have anything to sort of say on that regard? I actually really don't think a lot. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think my lists are going to. Um, I think the new missions are going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to those. I do like the book. I'm glad I bought it. I'm going to buy future, but uh, I don't think right now there's a ton that's going to cause me to uh, do a lot of, you know, big, you know, seismic changes to my lists. What about you? Um, so to to Ben's point, the missions are going to change up what I bring. Zone Mortalis, I will talk about that next time, is a massive shift in how you need to even think about building an army. And uh, I'm I am in in the tank pondering how I'm going to be doing uh, Zone Mortalis armies for uh, all of my current collections. As to the new units. Ultramarines, like I said, I really do want to get uh, uh, some squads of inducti modeled up, and I really want to lean into as kind of a modeling challenge, sort of rogue trader aesthetics for them. Um, I think even grabbing some like rogue trader models for them would be really cool. 
Um, but you know, I look at the world eaters ones and I'm there's, there's no way you couldn't pay me to run the world leaders ones. Well, you could, uh, but you know, it's not a thing I would run voluntarily. I, uh, I don't think the Raven Guard ones add anything to to the Raven Guard, uh, which is really sad to say because I feel like that Legion does need something. The the Curions do change up my armored spearhead, and they do make me want to reconsider uh, how I'm going to be modeling a couple of tanks moving forward. Like I said, I do think uh, you know not being able to have that on the brand new Vindicator tank that came out with the book was a was kind of a big mistake. I would love to be able to. You know, have these guys in any tank squadron, not just sort of the the main four. I think if you're a Sons of Horus player, there is a lot of spice in this book. Uh, Varen Assuradon, you know, we didn't mention this. We did our little discussion on, discussion on earlier. Get to take Reavers uh, as his retinue and can make that Reaver unit line, which makes them uh, actually worth taking, in my opinion. Uh, I think Reavers kind of struggle right now. But with Varen, they're quite solid. Um, definitely a unit that I would love to like stick in a Spartan and have them punch down into other units. So not that that's what I'm going to do at all, but it is. Um, so I think Sons of Horus do benefit a lot more. Imperial Fists, like, man, that Legion is spoiling for riches. I really don't know... I don't feel like there's anything massive in this book that they gain that says, like, I want to take this over Templar Brethren or Phalanx Warders or, you know, the All Deep Strike Army or, like, I'm not going to run Garius over, like, Rogaldorn. Like, that's not a thing I'm going to do. But narratively, I think there's quite a bit to chew on here. And I really, really like Garius as a character. And sticking him with like a unit of Huskarls, like I think would just look really cool. So I think for fists, if you're not planning on running, they're already great options, and you want something a bit different than you might be seeing elsewhere. You know, you do get something here, but I feel like you know that wouldn't change the list you're actively running, if that makes sense. But yeah, I I wish the inducti were a little bit meatier. And also, I wish the book had given uh, Mechanicum and Sisters uh, something as well. You know, they're both present in the narrative, they both feature, and I feel like both those factions already, you know, are looking for stuff. Uh, Mechanicum especially could could do with some some love. So, you know, I think those are, those are the really big kind of misses that I would have loved to have seen them uh, uh, hit with this book. But overall, like... I think, like I said, Sons of Horus, you're definitely going to be using stuff from this book. Um, other legions, depending on, you know, what your inducti has, you might be using those. Um, uh, I think Sons of Horus are, other, are, are, are big winners there. I think Salamanders are big winners there. Everybody else, it feels like a toss-up. And yeah, you know, am I planning on, on you know, going ham with... Uh, uh, modeling a bunch of tanks with uh, decurions uh not not anytime soon but you know i think there is a lot of uh, a lot of interesting modeling challenges that i do intend on pursuing and um the last thing i'd want to point out here uh and i know we'll talk about this more next time uh the campaign rules in this book are fantastic they're dramatically better than anything i've seen from the 40k team uh since uh the vigilus books and uh 
you know, as a as a system for running your own kind of like branching heresy games, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I'm actually a million percent running a Siege of Chthonia campaign uh, after the uh, 40k 10th edition hype has died down some. There's folks locally who are building uh, Imperial Fest armies for it, so it's going to be a ton of fun. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly. One thing I want to focus on, we talked about the fluff earlier, is that you don't have to just have the Imperial Fists or Sons of Horus for this campaign. Because they did weave in so many other st- legions into it. Had your detachment of the bearers who came along, you had your Thousand Sons, you had your Iron Hands, you had your Raven Guard, you had your Salamanders. Like, it's a good showing of forces who can show up and you can have, like, a these guys were here. Yeah. And not necessarily comparing it with the Black Books. I'm going to compare them with the Neptus Titanicus source books. Yeah. Because they came from the same... This is the same team. This is the specialist games department. You can see, like... I compare it, say, with Crucible of Retribution. I mentioned it near the start of the show. Like, Crucible of Retribution let me down. Like, it, this was the story of the Titan War in this section of space that became home of the Sabbat Crusades, the Gaunt Ghosts fight over, and all that other good stuff. It just didn't land well. The fighting in this just hit it out of the park. Campaign system, as I said, was it's one of the best campaign systems I've seen Games Workshop put out full stop. It's really modern, really nice, and really easily done. And we'll get there soon, but the missions are so good. So we'll come back and we'll finish our conversations about these this book. Talk through the campaign missions and... Well, we'll sort through the the core missions and the campaigns and Zone Mortalis, because Zone Mortalis is incredible. And, uh, yeah. Leave it there for right now. Well, it's been a great time. Thanks for uh, hosting, Martin. Great talking. Okay, that was today's huge discussion. We talked about a lot. There's a lot of really good rules in this book and a lot of stuff for us to chew on, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation and got something out of it. I do want to loop around again to say I really enjoyed the lore of this book, and I do want to return to this book after having read the Black Library novella about the siege and have a long, more detailed conversation about the events that this covers. I think it's a very interesting faction of lore that they're starting to sink our teeth into. But all that said, we'll talk about this all more in two weeks when we return to discuss the campaigns and Zomortalis missions and Zomortalis itself. Until then, if you enjoyed the show, please recommend it to a friend. Leave a comment on your podcasting podcatcher app of choice. Please subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of choice, and we will see you in two weeks. If you have any questions for the show, please email us at firesofbetrayal at gmail.com or reach out through our social media account or at reserve to their respective owners. Until next time, we wish you all good fortune.